please stand for the hearing of God's word. Again, I got to leave my text over. I'm going to read off page 10 too because it's got all the texts here. All right. We're starting at 126. Now, this is when God forms humanity, the first man and woman. And listen to what he says. This is him in his royal court, his heavenly court talking. He says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the, all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Now let's look at 28. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, it is not good. Now we're jumping to two. So what's happened in chapter one, you get the covenant cutting creation taking place. And then in chapter two, we zoom in on the high point of creation, the covenant partner in creation, the prized creature of creation. And that's where we are in two. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken, God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is the first poetry ever written. This is the last, the bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall cleave his leave his father and his mother and hold fast or covenant to his wife and they shall become one flesh and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed all right now we're down to three something's happening in three that's a you know the the music has changed the scenery it's it's turning dark the storms are rolling in then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew they were naked and they sewed fig leads together and made themselves loincloths. And the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you've done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust shall eat. You shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman. So that assumes what? There's friendship between them right now. There's a bond between them right now. And the good news is he's going to break the bond and put hostility there where there's friendship, right? And between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Do you know what that means? That means that Adam believed what just happened in 315. He is a believer now because he names his wife Eve. We're, we're among the living, and we will be, right? Because it shouldn't be. 
Now Adam and Eve knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And we'll talk about that later. Okay? This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Oh Lord, we thank you for your grace upon everyone without distinction, all people without distinction, great and small, the successful, the poor, the accomplished, the not so accomplished, men, women, boys, girls, moms, fathers, husbands, wives. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for your grace without distinction. Um, We ask now that you would unleash heaven by the power of your spirit through the wonder of your word into our hearts. And we ask this boldly because you are a God of grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, George Carlin, you know, he's known for his, he's Mr. Manners. And he wrote the book on etiquette, and he's known for great restraint of not having any profanity in his stand-up routines, right? Well, in one of his stand-up routines, he says this. He says, women are crazy, men are stupid. And the main reason women are crazy is men are stupid, (laughs) right? All right, one website gives a very profound theological answer to why why God made man first and woman second. God made man before woman, so man would have time to think of an answer for the woman's first question. Right? All right. Eve was the first woman. The first woman to encounter God. The first woman to have it all. The first woman to lose it all. The first woman to encounter the grace of God. The first woman to walk by faith in a fallen world. Eve lays out the blueprint of womanhood. What it means to be a woman. Now, here's the tension, though. The tension is, which Eve? Which Eve lays out the blueprint of womanhood? Pre-fall Eve? Before the fall? Or post-fall Eve? After the fall? That's the tension. Because the tension is, for you and me, and for the church, and for our culture, and for marriages, and for homes, and for families... We go to one or the other, but most of us go to post-fall Eve as the definition of womanhood. So let's do this. For example, just a couple examples, and that's why these texts are just kind of littered out for you in chapters 1 through 3. Genesis 3, 6 goes like this. It's in your bulletin. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired also to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who just happened to be with her, and he ate, right? So what's the blueprint for a woman here? Again, we're looking at post-fall 
woman. What's the blueprint for a woman here? She's morally weak. She's a temptress, right? If given the chance, she's going to bring a man down. She keeps man back. She holds him back. Men, the real action that's going on in the world is what men are doing, and women tend to get in the way of what men are doing. That seems to be what happens here. Another example, Genesis 3, 11 through 12. He said, God is saying, who told you you were naked when Adam responded after they had fallen? Again, this is the fallen, the post-Eve, post-fall Eve, right? Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me to be with me, she gave me from the fruit of the tree and I ate. So what's the blueprint for a woman here? She's the one to blame for everything. Right? I mean, for the husband, she's the husband's target for everything that goes wrong in life. It could be um, financial stress in the family. The woman's to blame. My wife's to blame. It could be for... um, financial stress to a not-so-happy meal. That could be the target, right? Also, you notice what happens to the one to blame. It tends to shift. I've seen it happen in our house. It tends to shift the children. She becomes the target of the children's disrespect when life doesn't go the way we want, particularly when we don't get what we want. So this post-fall Eve becomes the target of the one to blame. And, And let's face it, if we also go with outside our culture, in general... It's women are everything that's wrong with education and everything that's wrong with the culture and everything that's wrong with the home and everything that's wrong with the workplace, everything that's wrong with politics, everything that's wrong with the military, right? It's interesting when we talk about a a sexed, crazed culture, the fault always goes to the beautiful woman and not the lustful man. Do you get that? All right, let's keep going. You comfortable? I am. Genesis 3, 16. For the woman, for to the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. What's the blueprint for a woman here? Post-fall Eve. She must, she must have marriage and she must have motherhood to be a true woman. In other words, a woman's deepest identity and significance and value and meaning and happiness in life is tied to a man and tied to having children. And so if she's not married, man, you're less than a woman. If she's infertile, complete disorientation to her life. The definition of who she is starts unraveling. And then if you have bad children, you must be a loser of a woman. Right? I think I had one other thing written down for that one. Oh, yeah. If you're a widow, you better find another man quick to be okay. Right? Okay. 
Now, notice this doesn't work. I just want to tease on this a little bit. Notice it doesn't work in reverse for the man. Like, for instance, in our culture, if a man doesn't get married and a man doesn't have children, he doesn't lose himself. He's James Bond. (laughs) Right? I mean, the dude is all set. We envy his freedom, men. We envy the the potential, the opportunity for personal growth and fulfillment in his life, right? And then if he's in ministry and he's not married and doesn't have children, we think he's so sacrificial, it's so noble that he's doing this for the cause of Christ. One more and I'm done. Genesis 3:16b Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule after you. Remember, what are we doing? What's biblical womanhood? Pre-fall Eve, post-fall Eve. Most of us inside the church, outside the church take our cues from post-fall Eve. Here's another post-fall example of Eve. Your desire shall be for your husband, he shall rule over you. What's the blueprint for a woman here? She will seize control. Guard the home, guard the church, guard the culture. Women are on the loose, right? So the logic becomes men must seize back control. You know, it's cute, I guess. You battle the sexes, men are from Mars, women are from Venus. I mean, that's good stuff because there are differences. I mean, there are I think that's true. Men are from Mars and women are from Venus. The more I am one, the more I'm around one. Um, But the logic becomes women now are an object to be subdued and controlled and possessed. Right? Instead of man and woman ruling and subduing the earth, what Genesis 1.28 says, remember... The text says, and God said to them, plural, them, plural, rule, subdue the earth. What then happens under post-fall Eve paradigms of what it means to be a woman, the husband seeks to rule and subdue his wife. Men seek to rule and subdue women in the church, in the workplace, in the culture. Okay? So if our blueprint for womanhood comes from post-fall Eve, women will remain lost. Not only in the Bible, in the home, in the workplace, in the church, in our communities, everywhere. So we know the the pattern for womanhood must come from pre-fall Eve. What is that then? Look at Genesis 1, 27 through 28. Notice verse 27. The image of God is what? Male and female, not just male. Now, that might seem like a simple observation, and it might seem very self-evident, but here's the implications of that. This means that the deepest design for the man and the woman, our deepest design, men and women, our deepest design, our ultimate identity Our ultimate hope, our ultimate value and meaning and happiness in life is found 
not in each other. It's not found in marriage. It's not found in a love relationship. It's not found in romance. It's not found in sex. It's not found in each other. Friendship. Our ultimate identity, purpose and significance, meaning and value, worth and and flourishing is also not found in ourselves. So we look around and we say, my accomplishments define me. My performance, my success, my self-control. It's also not found in this text in the good creation around us. So it's not found in good gifts, comforts, and pleasures that God has given in creation. It's not found there either. The implication of image bearing is that male and female, man and woman, our deepest design, our deepest hope and trust, the deepest DNA of who we are is found in God. Outside of ourselves, in the wonder of God, in the wonder of walking with God, knowing Him, being known, loved, accepted by Him, and in the wonder of mirroring Him, reflecting Him, representing Him like a little God to all the earth. That's womanhood. The image of God. Well, King David, he puts it this way. King David knew. Most of the times, when, I, I gotta be honest with you. I hear when I hear image of God, and I listen to, and I heard a lot, and I, I've read a lot. It, it's good stuff, but it's so boring. I mean, the image of God is usually here's your laundry list of divine-like attributes that are consistent and corresponding in men and women. We have reason. Oh, good. Good, that's good. We have the capacity for community. Fantastic. We have ethical inclinations and character written on us. You bet. We have wisdom and knowledge. Uh Uh-huh. Right? Here's the way David talks about image bearing. See if it corresponds to most of our understanding of image bearing. Look how David talks about it. When he talks about it, it lights a flame in you. It's like he awakens you for who you really are. It's like he touches what you most deeply long for when he talks about image bearing in the Psalms, chapter 8, verse 5. He says, you have made him, men and women, a little lower than God and crowned him with glory and honor. Mm -hmm. 
Both Adam and Eve, man and women, were given the highest rank in all creation. The highest rank in all of creation. A little lower than God. Kings, queens, rulers, significance, value, identity. Now, Carolyn Custis James, she puts it this way. She's, she's speaking to the woman, and I think it's really good. She says, God is the king, but he called Eve, along with Adam, to be his vice regent, next in rank to God himself in creation. As his vice regent, as his image bearer, Eve's goal was to align herself with God at every possible level, to share his heart, imitate his ways, love what he loved, and join him in his work. That is a calling We're getting closer to the point. We're getting closer to the blueprint. What we're going to do is we're going to add one last piece. So far, this is what we've seen. A woman, the blueprint for a woman is she's a worshiper and a witness to the wonder of God. The stuff of highest rank, right? Now we're going to add one more piece. Here it is. Notice verse 28. Go to verse 28 of chapter 1. See that first line, and God blessed them. Do you see the period after and God blessed them before the next thought picks up? Do you see that? And God blessed them. One thought, one action, one powerful thing, one forceful forging of something that God does right there. Notice what's happening is God blessed them before he gave them the mission. God blessed them, then he gave them the mission. What was the mission? To image him in all the earth in all ways and every way. So that the knowledge of the glory of God would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. To, to bring in the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. That's the mission, right? What a mission. But he blessed them before he gave it. He blessed their unity. He blessed their alliance. He blessed their partnership. He blessed their team. In other words, he forged a powerful team that would worship him and witness his wonder throughout all the earth. It is a blessed team. He blessed them. Team. No loners. No glory hounds. No power plays. A team. So God's own image, male and female, is inherently a blessed team. Please hear me. God's own image, male and female, is inherently the individual male and female, certainly. Adam, as image bearer. Eve, as individual image bearer. But also, 
image bearer corporately. Inherently, his image is a team, a blessed team, man, woman. Okay? So, this is the point of 2.18. We now go to 2.18. Now we're zooming in. Again, one is the big picture, the bird's eye view of all that God did. Chapter 2 zeroes in on the focal point, the focal point of the creator with his covenant partner, the focal point of God and Adam and Eve in partnership, right? Here we go. The focal point, 2.18. Got it? I better get there. Let's see. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. The word helper is used 19 times in the Old Testament, 16 times for God himself. Only three times is the word helper used for something or someone other than God. Okay? Helper is not an inferior design and mission, women, men. It's not an inferior design and mission unless you're willing to say God's design and his mission is inferior. I don't think anybody wants to do that. If you do, please move a couple more seats away from me. Helper means it can't get done without them. A helper is someone who's so essential to what's going to happen is that it can't get done without them. That's what the text means. So there must be a team. It's not good when there's not a team. God created woman in marriage, in singleness, in every relationship with a male or a woman in every area of life and calling of life with the crucial design and the crucial mission of being a helper, a it-can't-get-done-without-them kind of person. Wow. Helper. We could say it this way. When God looked around and he was going to put his best team together, his best team that was going to Worship him and witness his wonder in all the earth. The best team that was going to glorify him in all that they do in every area of the earth. The best team that would advance his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. The best team that would get that job done. He did not. Oh, oh, wait, we got to take time out. He's putting his best team together while he knows there's an anti-God enemy out there trying to keep the kingdom of God on earth from going forth, who's out to destroy the kingdom of God on earth at all costs. With that in mind, and he's putting together his best team, he does not put together Adam and Brett. He puts together Adam and Eve, man and woman, a team. His best team. Okay? Now, here's the point. The blueprint of a woman is that a woman, women, you are to worship and witness to the wonder of God in all your relationships and in every relation in every area of life to the glory of God. Okay? This means worship and witness of the wonder of God going forward in all the earth and into, into marriage and into the home and into 
the community and in the church. It can't happen without you. It can't happen without you. God being made famous in every sphere of life can't happen without your instrumentality, without your time, without your love, without your gifts, without your abilities, without your person participating in the process. Now, men, let's talk to you for a little bit here. Husbands, fathers, single sons, brothers, growing boys. Is that everybody? If we don't see something here that's at the beginning of all things, we will treat women in general and, and women specifically in your life as post-fall Eve. Okay? For example, husbands in the home and male elders in the church are called to be the primary leaders in the team. Okay? So the primary leader in this team in the home is the husband. The primary leader of this team in the church is male elders. All right? Good. That's the design. That's the way God set it up. That's how his glory goes forward. Now, if we fail, though, to see something in this text, the beginning of all things, our leadership, men, will turn to lording over. And lording over from Jesus' instruction and from Peter's instruction and from Paul's instruction comes from the idolatry of power and raw unbelief. So we don't want that, right? We don't want it at all. So this is what happens. If, if primary leadership, which is seen as service and of laying down your life and of building another up, turns into lording over the woman, your wife or the women in the church are not seen as helpers. In other words, people that it can't get done without them kind of people. Instead, they get benched. And they cheer from the sidelines. And they try to stay out of the way. And they hold the water bucket for when we get tired and we come off the field. And then what happens is if any sort of meaningful engagement in the game that's being played, if women start moving in that direction, when we lord it over, we look over and we say, you're not supposed to be doing that. That's not your place. That's unbiblical. All right? And then it's also a dark side. I don't know if we even need to mention the dark side, do we? Lording over has a very dark side. It's abusive. It's controlling. It's belittling. Right? It's not, it's not causing a wife and a woman to flower and bloom. It causes her to wilt. That's the dark side of lording over. All right? Now, women, let's talk to you for a little bit. Wives, mothers, singles, daughters, sisters, growing girls. If you don't see, if you don't see the thing that's here in the beginning of all things, here's what will happen to you. You will build your lives around men, marriage, a love relationship, romance, 
instead of building your life around and your deepest identity around the wonder of God, finding yourself, your significance and your meaning and your happiness in the wonder of God. All right? So are those bad things, men? No. You don't go the other way and make them enemies. That's just another way. You either love them too much or hate them too much, right? So what happens is these are good things. Men are good things. Romance is a good thing. Marriage is a great thing. It's all blessed callings, having children, being a mother, unbelievable callings, unbelievable blessings. But they are not your deepest hope. They are not what defines you. They are not what makes you a woman. They are not where you find love and cosmic approval and acceptance and value and worth. That can only be found in the wonder of God. Okay? So here's what happens. If you build your life around your husband, wives, in other words, you love your husband more than you love God. If you build your life, if you're building your identity, if you're building around a love relationship, if you're a single person, the hope of it or the reality of it, or now you got it and you got a husband and you got your children, if you build your life around them, love them more than God, here's what will happen. Your husband's displeasure will devastate you. His failures will shatter your life. Minor fights turn into major fights because you're fighting for your very existence. What is it? He's got to love you. He's got to accept you. He cannot be displeased with you. He's got to understand where you're coming from. See how this happens? Okay, so are we all ready to see what we have to see? What do we have to see in this text? Here's what we all need to see. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. I'll read it to you. Now Adam knew, his, now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten... Now here, I'm going to give you the literal translation. I have gotten the man with the help of the Lord. Notice the help there again. Words used again, right? Who did Eve think she was giving birth to here? Virginia? The seed. The promised he of Genesis 3.15. Now, it's devastating when you realize it's not the promised he and you got Cain. That's pretty devastating. But don't fault her for that. Look what she set her heart on. Look where she put her deepest hope and trust in. It's the promised he. She was building her life around the promised he. Because remember, chapter 3 ends with... Well, that wasn't chapter 3. When Adam said and named Eve as the mother of all living, that was his affirmation of faith. This is Eve's affirmation of faith. Now look at 3.15. What is the, who is the promised E? He. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. Genesis 4.1 shows us that both Adam and Eve have set their deepest hope, their deepest trust, their deepest definition of their personhood, their deepest identity, their deepest value and meaning and happiness in life, not on each other. 
not on themselves and not on their creation that's all around them. They set it on the promised He. And in doing so, they found themselves. They were among the living again. They were beginning to break with the false bonds of trying to find life in themselves, in each other, in the creation. Is that not what Paul says in Romans 1 when he says the ultimate essence of sin is turning from the creator to the created idolatry? Right? Now notice what's happening here. They set their heart on the promised he, the one who breaks the bond between them and the serpent, the one that breaks the bond between them and their sin, the one that breaks the bond between death, the one that breaks the bond between them and misery. He breaks it. How does he break it? He steps on the head. He crushes the head. He kills the serpent, sin, darkness, and misery. And then the, the question is, how does he do that? How does this happen? Genesis 3.15, you shall bruise his heel. The promised he crushes, steps on, breaks false bonds of sin and death and misery and the serpent in our life by being bruised. He was bruised so we wouldn't be. Okay, here we go. So Satan bruised Jesus, the better Adam and Eve, so he can no longer bruise you. He can't accuse you. He can't condemn you. He can't bring any charges against you. He can't, he can't say, you're unjustified. You're of little worth and value. You have no meaning. You have no hope. Those are lies. Sin's deadly debt bruised Jesus, the better Adam, the better Eve, so that sin's deadly debt doesn't bruise you, doesn't crush you, doesn't separate you, doesn't banish you from God. There's also something here I think it's important to point out, and that is that God is the one that bruises Jesus the better Adam, the better Eve, ultimately. Ultimately, when you start reading the rest of the story, I mean, here we get a seed, you get a seed of the story, but as the story unfolds through the rest of the pages, you start realizing this is not like a battle between God and Satan like they're equals. This is not uh, ultimately a battle between uh, God and us. Ultimately, the story unfolds that God will send his own son to be bruised and beaten and broken. 
so that we don't have to be. So he bruises him to bring you back. That you can say, just like Adam, we're among the living. And build your life, just like Eve, around the promised he. And find yourself. Now here's what happens. Men, when you see Jesus was bruised for you, you will bond with him. If we see that Jesus was bruised for us, if I see Jesus was bruised for me, I bond with him. Experientially, existentially, objectively, legally, I bond with him. And in bonding with him, I bond with his infinite love. And I bond with his power to break my false bonds. He puts enmity between you and the woman. He breaks false allegiances. He breaks false friendships. He breaks false worship. He breaks it when you bond with him. And so for us women, I mean for men, I'm saying if we bond with needing power over women, he breaks it. If we bond with needing respect, we've got to have our wives respect us. I've got to have my wife respect. He breaks those kind of bonds. I've got to have other women respect me. He breaks those bonds. I've got to have power and position to be okay. He breaks those bonds. Women, when you see Jesus was bruised for you, you will bond with him, his infinite love for you, and the power that he gives to break false bonds in your life. Like, I'm only a real person if I have a man. Snap, he breaks that. No, you're not. You're a real person because I love you. Because you're a worshiper of me. And because I give you the privilege of bearing witness to me in my wonder. He breaks the bond, ladies, of your fear, inferiority, and wilting. He breaks it. So if we see Jesus was bruised for us, we bond with him. And false bonds get broken. Okay, women are, what are they? Blueprint. Women are worshipers of the wonder of God. Witnesses to the wonder of God. And this is all high-ranking stuff. This is prized, image-bearing stuff. And this stuff cannot be done without them. Amen.